This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of The Crown Cast. And this World Cup is drunk. That's what I'm going to say. This World Cup is drunk. If you have not been following this World Cup, you are missing things. And here to talk about how drunk it is with me is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. And is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. And for all of you out there listening to us, we are uh, only going to be doing like two-thirds-ish of this podcast on the World Cup. We are going to talk a little bit about our hometown, Charlotte FC, uh, because they have news uh, there is a player who is signed for Charlotte FC, and we're going to take a look at him. We're going to talk about him. You don't get to know who that is, though, until the end of the podcast, so stick around. Uh, Justin, the yeah. World the World Cup went out there, and they had their round of 16. Some of it, yeah. I think, deserves a little bit of talking about. Some of it, I think, deserves just saying what happened. Uh, you want to run through it really quick with me? The USA-Netherlands, we are going to save till the end, because I think that's probably our primary talking point. Yeah. Do you think there's anything more to say other than Argentina beat Australia? No, I mean, they did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. They, Argent- they probably went through the smoothest. Argentina goes out. They do their job 2-1. It was probably one of the more this-is-what-we-expected games. Uh, Japan and Croatia actually ends up being quite a game and goes to penalty kicks. But Croatia goes through on pens. A, a good ending to the game, but I don't think requires a ton of discussion. I don't think if you had told said anyone that Croatia was going to beat Japan, there would have been a, a bunch of people freaking out. Uh, Brazil, in a very stylish fashion, does put away South Korea and South Korea's run. Anything we want to say about that? No, just they look dangerous again. You know, Neymar's back healthy and they're back to being maybe one of the favorites. Yeah, they they look really, really, really good. Um, there, the third goal in that game is one that I am not a huge fan of of the player who scores it, but it is a really remarkable goal. Uh, we'll move on to France and Poland. And uh, Josh, I'm going to ask you: France beats Poland. Uh, that's kind of what we expected, right? Uh, yeah, I think the biggest takeaway from this is Mbappe is clearly head and shoulders the best player in this World Cup right now. Yeah, he's uh, pretty good at the football. Hang on. The biggest takeaway from this match is that apparently France's president, Emmanuel Macron, is uh, prescient and, and sees the future because leading into this game, he called everything about it. He called it 3-1 to France. He called that Lewandowski would score for Poland, that Mbappe and Giroud would each get one. And he said his term was that the Joker will get a third. And uh, uh, it turned out being Mbappe. But, uh, you know, apparently Emmanuel Macron sees the future. Uh, or just a really big football fan. Uh, but you know or, what? Let's go with Seize the I Future. Mean, that's probably that. That's a better story. Look, it is the chalk pick to say, oh, in a match where Lewandowski, Giroud, and Mbappe are on the field, those are going to be the three guys who score. That's yeah. probably... I mean, I think a bolder prediction would have been that Karol Swiderski would score. But... Uh, Karol Swiderski he, would have needed to see the pitch. Yeah, he would have score. needed to play <laughs> to score. But it would have been a bold prediction. Uh, I'm going to move us along to England-Senegal. Uh, England score three, Senegal score zero. Uh, I will admit this game for its scoreline, I think was a little bit uh, cagier in the beginning than I would have expected, but scoreline came out about as I expected. Josh, you have any any thoughts on this one? It was a game and it happened. 
It was a football <laughs> game. Uh, we are going to get to, I think, the last three are the real talking points. Uh, Portugal finally accepts, like the rest of the world, that Cristiano Ronaldo is holding them back. And wow, they look good. Uh, Justin, do you want to just real quick touch on what Portugal is able to do when they remove their theoretically best player? Well, I mean, he's he's a headache. Uh, as a Manchester United fan, I could, we knew he was a headache. Uh, we knew he holds the team back. And uh, let me tell you, I don't see how, after this performance, you can say to 21-year-old Gonzalo Ramos out of Benfica, who gets a hat trick replacing Ronaldo at the top of the formation, you can't tell that guy to sit back down. You can't tell that guy, oh, no, we're giving your spot back or anything like that. Ronaldo's going to have to be a super sub because without him... There is a very real chance that this Portuguese team could could make enough of a threat to win this World Cup. With him, yeah. they are destined to lose. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I thought this Portugal team had talent. I did not think they had that much talent. Uh, they went from being, oh, they did well to get to the round of 16, and they'll probably reach the best eight, uh, to, wow, these guys could could do it. I mean, theoretically, they have a right to challenge France um, or England, depending on who comes through that game. But six goals for them in really impressive style against a team that's not exactly a joke in Switzerland. Uh, Morocco and Spain. <laughs> we we watched this. Uh, I was able to tune in sort of towards the like 80th minute mark. And I am so glad I did. Uh, absolutely insane performance from Morocco's goalkeeper. I mean, have you seen a better goalkeeping performance ever? I'm going to give that to Justin. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, David De Gea against Arsenal put on one of the most brilliant uh, goalkeeping performances I've ever seen. This was probably better. I, I know that that performance wasn't that special because one, it's David De Gea. And two, at that point in time, a couple of years ago, Arsenal couldn't attack. So there's nothing he could have done that would have been special in that game. Uh, this, is, this is really special. Uh, if you have not seen the highlights of this game, it does go to PKs. Every single one of the players from Morocco is dead on their feet. And I mean, the captain central defender of this team is legitimately injured and basically looks at his coach and says, no, I'm going back and I'm hobbling my way through the last eight minutes of this match. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that's a good mentality in general because I think it puts players at risk. You know, I, I think players go out for their club and or for their country and because of the size of this, this event put themselves in, in great harm. You know, they leverage their future for that moment, but that doesn't change it from being an incredible story. Uh, literally hobbles his way to the end of this match. And Spain just can't find it. Spain just does not have the ability to find the, the, the back of the goal. And then the, the keeper steps up and makes two amazing penalty saves. He was in the attacker's head the whole time. It's it's a spectacular performance. Performance, Josh. Anything you want to say on this one? Um, 
I don't know that I've there, there's a few goalkeeping performances that might have been better than this. I don't know that I will ever forget this goalkeeper simply for the fact that when that second Spanish player steps up to take a penalty, uh, the goalkeeper is talking to him the entire time and basically telling him, I know you're going to go to the right. I know you're going to go to the right. And the Spanish player goes to the right and the goalkeeper saves it. He was talking that talk at them and backed it up and i don't think that i've ever seen that happen where a goalkeeper was so confident was so out in front of it was so uh vocal in his talking and still backed it up um it was absolutely unreal and then the end of it the the panenka to end it is just special i i had people who don't watch soccer texting me after that happened going did you see that i mean it's uh, like weirdly it's one of those things that we all know the terrible atrocities behind the world cup we all know the the way it came to be in qatar but like if i was gonna sports wash something i'd use the world cup because holy if you get this sort of drama like people have to watch this don't they uh it's it's terrible to say it but it is true morocco in spectacular fashion send Spain home and a quick shout out to Jorge over at Charlotte FC memes page. If you haven't seen it, he has a fantastic elf on a shelf uh, ploy for this one that you should, should go and look at. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to, I'm going to make you find it for yourselves. Justin, the Netherlands played USA. They did. And uh, the USA was not up to the challenge. They were uh, tactically outperformed. Um, they they got hit really kind of in the same spot. The first and the second goals that we concede uh, in that match against the Netherlands are carbon copies of each other. Uh, Dumfries gets free on the the right wing. The the Dutch uh, fullback over there um, and uh, attack space that it, you know. Early in the match, I I think it was a matter of Anthony Robinson was close to him, but nobody tracked the runner to the the penalty spot. Later in the game, Anthony Robinson, unfortunately, was just so tired he couldn't get back to cover. Uh, But we concede three. We score one. And I'm going to put score in air quotes because Haji Wright didn't know what was going on with that one. He would just kind of... Hey, hey, His, hey, now. <laughs> no, it was a masterstroke of brilliance. It sure. Was, it he was, fell over and his heel clipped it in. Hey, you know he what? He saw the For, field in a way you never will. Yeah, That's he, true. He, he I understands never, the fourth dimension. I have never fallen into the goal while scoring a goal, so he does see the field in a way that I don't. Um, You're spicy today, Justin. Um <laughs> It's uh, disappointing because the, this U.S. team does have a lot of talent. It is not necessarily surprising, especially given the fact that we were tactically outperformed. And when the key matchup here is the Dutch manager, Louis van Hall versus Greg Berhalter, the American manager, we are at a disadvantage there. So I'm going to I'm going to step in here because I, I do think we were outperformed, but I don't think it was massively. Um, I think we saw the an example here of of people who are accustomed to doing it in the moment or who are executing trained plays versus people who get chances 
and aren't quite calm enough to put them away. Because I, if I remember correctly, we get two really good one-on-one chances with the goalkeeper. And, you know, the difference here is our chances, in my opinion, were kind of scrambling to good chances. And the Netherlands' good chances were practiced. They were, uh, you know, off of the right wing, like you said. They were cutbacks to the, the essentially penalty spot. And you could tell how many times these guys have run onto a penalty slot and penalty spot and slotted a ball into the net. It was, you know, if you just look at the stats, we had six more shots than the Netherlands. We had two more shots on target than the Netherlands. We had almost 60% possession. We had 59% possession. Um, We had less fouls than the Netherlands. Uh, we had one more corner than the Netherlands. When it comes down to just playing the game of football, there's a lot of things, and I realize those stats aren't all-encompassing. There's a <laughs> lot of things that that you can say the USA did pretty well. But I think ultimately what it came down to is what we've talked about before, and that's the USA has questions in both boxes, right? When it came, when we had the chances to finish, we didn't. And defensively, we gave them the chances to finish, and they did. Josh, do you want to add anything to this? Yeah, I mean, there there are two big things that jumped out to me when I was watching this game. Um, the first was that Frankie de Jong, who is the world-class midfielder for the Dutch, I thought he was really, really good this game. Um, especially on the first goal, he's the one who, in a tight space, is able to get the ball for them and start this intricate sequence that ends with them passing the ball into the you know back of the net. Um, but the other thing, and, and this was this was my real big frustration, was we played, we started the game with uh, Jesus Ferreira up top. And in my opinion, he was awful. And then when we were desperate, we brought on Reyna and put him in the middle. And my big question would for Greg Burhalter would be, if you're willing to do that, why not just do it? Um, if it's one thing if you say that Gio Reyna can't, for whatever reason, play through the middle and he has to play on the wing but you bring him in and you put him in the middle. And all of a sudden, I thought we looked a little bit better with that too. Your three best attackers across that front line um, would have been Pulisic, uh, Weya on the right, and Giorena, or putting Weya in the middle. And the fact that it took us being down in sort of desperation mode to make that happen is what really frustrated me in this game because I'm just all about get your best players on there. Um, and I don't think that running Gio Reyna through the middle is shoehorning a guy into a side. I think that's a job he is more than capable of doing. Yeah. I mean, as far as the Gio Reyna thing is concerned, the two of you actually have much more knowledge on Gio Reyna than I do. So I don't necessarily feel like I have the right to talk about him as a player specifically, but I do think it was interesting. The fact that, like you said, he comes into the middle and for a little while there, I thought we looked better. I mean, Josh or Justin, do you want to add anything to the Gio Reyna specifically, or should we think about moving on from this one? I mean, not to the Gio specifically, but it is like the root of all of that is we were tactically outclassed we were managed better uh, you know the if we had a more creative a more intelligent manager who was willing to 
you know, put the best players in. I think Cameron Carter Vickers should have started over over Walker Zimmerman uh, in this one. I don't think that Zimmerman was necessarily the right choice uh, at center back. Um, you know, I just uh, I, I was disappointed to see that. I was disappointed to see how late it took for for some of these substitutions to happen and and any kind of tactical change to happen. Um, and I think a lot of it has to go with the feet of Greg Berhalter because I think that an, on an individual skill level, the United States stands up to or or in a lot of a, a fair number of positions on that pitch surpasses the Dutch. But as a team, we weren't as good. Yeah, and we didn't create as well as they did. We did not. We did not manage to execute our game like they did. I think that's absolutely a fair criticism. Uh, so, uh, Josh, I'm going to go over to you for this question. That is obviously the United States out in the round of 16. Their World Cup is is run for uh, 2022. If you had to give them a performance rating, one to ten, where do you fall on the rating? How'd they do? Uh, I walk away actually very positive. I'm probably giving them eight or a nine. Um, that my is very goal, positive. My goal for this team was get out of the group stage, and I wanted to see what these young players could do. Because um, I, I don't think we should ignore the fact that this is the first time a bunch of these players are playing in the World Cup, right? Um, and it's not the easiest group. I think people did overestimate um, how easy a time we would have with a team like Iran. Um, they're not a bad team. And so I walk away really thinking this is exactly what I wanted to see, which is a launching pad for this group of players that leads into 2026 when they will be in the prime of their careers um, and hopefully another level up in skill as well. Yeah, I personally fall pretty pretty much in the same camp as you. Um, I don't think I'm quite as positive. I think that I'm probably in the like seven, eight range. Uh, I think it's a spectacular performance. Uh, I think that they've they've gone out there and they made a really good show of themselves. Uh, I think that a lot of young kids got a lot of experience that will help them for the future. And I'm excited to see where this team goes. And I think the thing that really makes me me happy is I look around and I see how many people out on the streets are excited for where this team goes in 2026. Justin, you want to give them a, a rating for us and then we'll move it along? I'm with you, Logan. This is a seven performance for me. Uh, this is, it's a solid seven. I think they did very well to get out of the group stage. Um, I think that, you know, if not for one moment of, you know, just losing your head, uh, you probably win that stage or win the group. Uh, you know, if Walker Zimmerman doesn't go in on Gareth Bale there. Um, they played very well. They showed that they are capable of, of breaking down teams that sit back in a, in a block. Um, they didn't show tactical flexibility. Again, I put a lot of that at the, the feet of the management rather than at the feet of the players. Um, I'm excited for what they do in the future. Uh, so, you know, it was a good one that I think has an opportunity to be built on in the best possible circumstances four years from now when they get to play in front of home crowds. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to move on to the last thing we're going to talk about the USA. That's probably not true. We're going to talk about them somewhere down the line. But the last thing we're going to talk about the USA today, and that is the USA's World Cup is run. So for one last time, I would like each of you to give me a crown that you'd like to give to a USA player. It is not specifically for their performance against the Netherlands. It is for their performance in the World Cup. And uh, Justin, I made you wait till last, so I'm going to give you the first <laughs> crown. 
I mean, for me, I think it's it's Tyler Adams. Uh, this guy is the Great. captain. Uh, he's he is the man going forward, leading this side, and he showed just time and again that with his play and and with his performance and with his his demeanor on the field that he deserves to be our captain going forward. Uh, I love to see the way he plays. I love to see the way he controls and bosses that midfield and uh, marshals the, the players around him. Uh, so I'm very excited to see him for the next couple of World Cup cycles be the captain of this of this squad. He, I, I cannot make a better shout out than Tyler Adams. I'm so glad you call him out because he, he was incredible the whole tournament. And I went in going, I don't know if this guy can do it. And every single time he was there, he was doing it. He was he was leading the team. He was playing out of his mind. A fantastic shout out. Uh, real quick, Josh, do you want to say anything about Tyler before we move on to your crown? Oh, you guys have nailed it. He 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 really did show up for this. Uh, then I am going to uh, go ahead and let you pull out a crown. Um, so I'm going to go to you know, one of his midfield partners, and it's Yunus Musa. Um, I talked about this last time. It's just, um, I don't think I've seen a U.S. midfielder quite like him in, in his technical ability and the way he wants to sort of drive and take on players. I think he looks like he's a player who has a little bit of flair to his game, which I love. Um, and, and mostly, I just, I, he looks like a guy who bets on himself all the time and is fearless in that respect. Uh, and that's something that I really have been dying to see from players on this U.S. team um, to just, you know, go challenge yourself wherever it is. I'm really hoping and this is no offense to Valencia or any, you know, Valencia fans out there, but I am <laughs> hoping that maybe he gets a move to a slightly bigger club. But it will be tricky for him because I don't think I don't want him to to run the mistake that Pulisic did of going to Chelsea where they don't know how to develop talent. Um but the the point is, I think, I think he has a chance to be sort of the metronome come next World Cup and to be the real standout midfielder for us, even above as good as Adams was. I just I see something in Musa that I think is a step ahead of that as well. Yeah, he's he has a constant air of threat about him that I really like. Um, whereas Tyler Adams felt like he was controlling the midfield. He was the one pulling strings. Eunice Musa felt like at any point in time, he could just cause problems. And, uh, another player I was overwhelmingly impressed with. There is talk. I I'm only talking talk right now. Um, that's what I do. I talk, talk that, uh, there are some very big clubs, including Liverpool interested in Eunice Musa. So maybe not that one. Maybe not that one. Eunice, go, go somewhere better. <laughs> Um, but I mean, even if that is a total, even if that's like a total like clickbait article out there in the world, right? The fact that anyone is linking this player with a club like Liverpool and Justin, even you have to admit in the past couple of years, they've been real good. Um, yeah, they, they're the, big, they're good, but they're still <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> but but like that's a credit to what he's done in this World Cup, and I Absolutely. don't know that you can make a better statement for him than what what he's done has has gotten him the eyes of people like Liverpool. Uh, Justin, final thoughts on Yunus Musa? And, and I say that I would never uh, imagine denying him the opportunity to go play for Liverpool. I think that. If he gets it, he's absolutely got to take it. I think that he is a brilliant player. Uh, I think that he is also 
so lucky for the U.S. in that I think he is the perfect pair for Tyler Adams in that midfield, uh, being able to to both create, both destroy plays, both. They're just such great complementary midfielders. Um, so I, I hope that he gets an opportunity like you, Josh, to to move on to, we'll not call it better things, but bigger things uh, in the near future. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to throw my crown out there. And uh, Justin, would you like to tell the people what my crown is? Uh, Logan will be crowning Matt Turner, uh, goalkeeper for the United States. You are correct. I'm going to be crowning Matt Turner. For those of you who have been following along with our World Cup Wednesday podcasts, uh, you will know that I, I, I am one of the people who did not have a high opinion of Matt Turner not that long ago. He recently made a move to Arsenal in the Premier League. And I said, what's this guy doing here, right? Uh, I am one of the people who I look really closely at goalkeepers. And I don't know whether he had this in him his whole career. I, I don't know if when he went to Arsenal, the coaching staff at Arsenal is incredible for their goalkeepers or whether he learned something from the number one at Arsenal. I don't know what switch flipped in him, but wow. I mean... I I struggle to see how he stays a number two goalkeeper. I mean, genuinely, his performance in this World Cup has been incredible. He has faced incredible attackers. He has not looked shy against them in any way, shape, or form. He has controlled his box in a way that is just downright special. His ability to catch a ball and not let it rebound out in any direction, not just you know, parry the ball away to a non-threatening area, his ability to take shots that are coming at him with pace and power and spin and danger and just swallow them in what I can only describe as a black hole void of his gloves and just not let them escape is really, really special. And I've talked before about the fact that he, he progresses play. He is the actual base from which all the play of the United States progresses. And that is a special trait in a goalkeeper. I have waxed lyrical about him before. And those of you who have, have listened to me talk about Charlotte FC players know I don't like crowning the same person three times in a row. <laughs> I feel like it gets repetitive. And he just keeps showing up in a way that I feel like I don't have a choice but to, to make sure the world knows about what he's done for the U.S. It's special. Uh, Josh, Matt Turner. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I can't say that I followed his career in, in New England all that closely, but when you do look back at the stats from his time there, he is one of the best goalkeepers in MLS, arguably the best. Um, I'd put him up there with Andre Blake, and I don't think currently there's anyone w with Andre Blake. Um, I, I think the big question has always been for, for Matt Turner is his ability with the ball at his feet. And I think that's where the move to Arsenal, regardless of how you feel about that club, really makes sense because they are a club where the goalkeeper, they do expect the goalkeeper to play out from the back. And so from a very um, clear, like developmental idea for his career, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I, I'm like you where I do wonder how long he stays a backup, both in terms of he is already 28. So, you know, he, he still has a lot of years left, but not that many. He's going to want to play, I think, a little bit more than he will at Arsenal. And with his performances, I think both with Arsenal and with this U.S. team, he's showing that he could 
probably have a, a Tim Howard like career at the Premier League level. Um, he is he's a really, really good shot stopper. And I think the big question is that distribution. If it keeps improving, I think a club in the Premier League will try to come and get him as their number one. Um, if it sort of stalls out where it is, I still think someone will try to come and get him. But I think he'd be more successful if if that keeps improving. He's another one, though, another guy who he bets on himself. That's a, that's, I think, a theme of of a lot of these U.S. players. So he's not a young man. You know, uh, when you talk about the average age of the the U.S. World Cup squad, he's one of the players who who drastically bumps it up. Do you feel like he will be there in four years? I see no reason why he wouldn't be. I mean, goalkeepers are also on a little bit different of a, a, a curve. You know, 32 for a goalkeeper is really not that old. We see a lot of guys who can go really well until their mid-30s or so. Um, I I would like to see another keeper come up through the system and push him. I don't think that that keeper is a Zach Steffen or a Sean Johnson. I'm looking to someone like Slonina, who hopefully Chelsea doesn't screw him up <laughs> and they can do something because I, again, I think you need that competition. Um, but I think, I think relying, every I think relying on, it. on Chelsea in any way, shape or form is not an ideal system. That's a fair point. <laughs> Chelsea yeah, is not words, a developer of players. The words Chelsea and not screw up the development of a player don't go together. Um, uh, Justin, final thoughts on Matt Turner. I mean, I, I mentioned it while we were watching the Netherlands match. There is a double save that I don't know how Matt Turner manages to pull it off. I don't want to cheer for him because, like you have said, he is an Arsenal goalkeeper, and I feel like as the only non-Arsenal fan currently on microphone right now, I have to rep the non-Arsenal supporting <laughs> side of things. But... He's uh, he is absolutely, you know, in that line, like you mentioned, of of the Tim Howard's, you know, Brad Friedel, uh, the primary U.S. export for the longest time to Europe has been goalkeepers. And Matt Turner is is proudly continuing that legacy. Yeah, strongly continuing that legacy. We are going to move on from the United States versus Netherlands because we want to get to some other stuff. There are talking points to be talked. And Justin. We move on to the round of eight. The quarterfinals are upon us and they are juicy. They're pretty good. There's a they lot. To, yeah, there's a lot to think about. Uh, where do you want to start, Justin? I'll let you choose where we start. Well, let's start with the underdogs against the surprise. Maybe their favorites in the World Cup. Who knows? And the Morocco Portugal match. Uh, Morocco, you know, we talked about it a little bit with their win over Spain. Spain, I think, completed a thousand pass over a thousand passes in that game and managed only one shot on target the entire match, which is an absolutely asinine and ridiculous stat. That's it, it, as as brave and as impressive and as amazing as the Moroccan performance was. It also took 120 minutes and penalties, and as you said, Moroccan players were dragging by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, this Portuguese team is flying right now. It doesn't look great. Does it? It's dangerous. It's difficult. It nature abhors a vacuum. And right now the vacuum in the round of 16 was all of the, the favored teams won except for Spain. Maybe, maybe Morocco still got it in them. 
but I just I don't know if they can beat the, the this Portuguese. Well, I tell you what Morocco needs to root for to beat this Portuguese team, and that is to see CR7 in the starting lineup as the quarterfinal match begins. So I think one thing that's important to talk about with the Moroccan team is Spain go a lot of minutes against them. What is it? 120 minutes plus PKs mm-hmm. and 120 minutes plus PKs. They don't score a goal. And if you look at the rest of their world cup so far, uh, there's one goal that goes into the back of their net and they're so defensively solid that another team doesn't even score it. They score it on themselves. That's right. Through four games, Morocco has conceded one goal, and it is because Morocco felt bad for Canada, so they kicked it into their own net. Morocco is, you have to acknowledge at this point in time, Morocco is a defensively solid unit. I mean, I I think that their game plan has kind of always been shell up and and hope for something on breaks. Uh, I think that they knew they were if they were going to have a chance, they were going to have to be some a team that didn't let in goals and see if they could find something on the other side and maybe tired tired legs that defense doesn't function quite as well, but I think there's also an argument that if you're going to be downright exhausted with all of your players broken, at least you're already playing the style you're going to have to play in the next match. Josh, do you feel like there's a chance for Morocco against Portugal? Um, <laughs> I'm kind of with Justin where if Ronaldo plays, there might be. Um, <laughs> in, in all seriousness, I, you know, I think I saw a stat where Morocco, aside from Qatar, they have the lowest XG of anyone in this tournament. So they do not create anything. They do defend, and I think the real hope for them is to go back to to PKs. I really, I don't have much hope for them going forward. They do have a few players um, like Ziyech, who is who <laughs> is really good. Again, another Chelsea player who they kind of screwed up. Um, it's a theme, man, with them. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know this Portugal team. They. Without Ronaldo, and and I'm really not trying to like dunk on him too much, but it really did look like a different team to me. They looked exciting. They looked energetic. Um, and after 120 minutes, I, it feels like Morocco might just be happy that they've made it this far. I know they want to go further, but I think regardless of what happens, they're going to walk away from this tournament feeling like they won it, and only one other team is going to feel that way. <laughs> yeah, Morocco yeah. should be proud of what they've done. I'm going to move us along. Uh, Netherlands versus Argentina. I think this game has more in it than a lot of people might be expecting. The Netherlands is good. I don't think they're world changing, but the Netherlands is good. And Argentina is also good. And a lot of people have been out there saying, Argentina, you know, this is going to be the year. Messi's going to win it. I do think that there would be a fantastic world in which Argentina and Portugal both make the starting lineups or both make the finals. And one of the two people in the argument for the greatest is on the bench. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, as a pretty much neutral in that argument, I think that would be hysterical. But I don't think Argentina is going to bench Messi. 
<laughs> you know, I, I don't think they're gonna either. Uh, so we will let you, the listener, decide what I may have meant in that statement. I think this is going to be a. I think this is going to be the first real test for Argentina as to whether or not that team can come together. The Netherlands is no joke. Um, I think they're beatable, but the Netherlands is no joke. Uh, you know, thoughts from you, Josh, on Netherlands and Argentina. Um, I will say I've I've been a little bit down on Argentina this whole um, tournament. I, I understand that they came in as favorites, but I think that they're favorites because of Messi. And Messi is I will the favorite. Say, yeah, and I will say this. When you have Messi on your team, of course you're going to be dangerous because that man can do things other humans just are not capable of on a football field. Um, with that said, I have been very impressed with the way the Netherlands has tactically been set up. And so I could see this being sort of, sort of like the U.S. Obviously, the U.S. aren't as good as Argentina, but in the sense where the Netherlands are okay with Argentina having the ball with them attacking, and then they're picking their points to go forward and to break forward. I agree with you, Logan. I think that this is going to be a closer game than maybe some people anticipate. And I think that Argentina is actually going to have to earn this. I don't think that this is going to be a, a walk in the park for them. I think that this could be some nervy moments for a lot of Argentinians out there. Yeah, and Argentina being the football culture that it is, uh, this might be a lot of people biting their fingernails. Uh, Justin, thoughts on this game? Uh, I mean, yes, it may end up very similar to that uh, the, the Dutch-U.S. match. The Argentinians will finish the chances that they get in a way that the, the Americans didn't. Um, I I do think that you can score against this Argentina side, but I think that they will also score against the Dutch side. Yeah. I think they um, just have too much creative uh, uh, capability there. They do. Uh, they absolutely play the beautiful game, and the Lionel Messi dude is pretty good at the footballs. Uh, let's move on to Croatia and Brazil, and I think that this one probably doesn't have that much to talk about. Uh Brazil looks imperious. Brazil looks terrifying. Is it, I mean, are there any arguments? I'll leave this to an open floor. Are there any arguments that say anything other than Brazil dominates this game? I mean, yeah. Croatia's not a bad side. They're a tired side at this point no. because they had to go to, to extra time. I think Croatia's a great side. I just think that a great Croatia is running into a politely spoken god mode brazil so so let me if there's one area of the pitch where i think brazil and this is like trying to find a blemish in a three million dollar home right um is there i i think the midfield of croatia if they're not too tired could give them issues when you have players like modric and brazovic and kovacic and all the other itches um out there i think that they could frustrate that midfield and i feel like croatia also has this thing in them in these big tournaments where that's kind of their game plan is kind of just to frustrate the 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 more favored sides and and sort of sit back and, and do that um i would still put a lot of money on brazil walking away from this game with a win but i think that it could be uh something where it's like a, a two one two nothing late 
goal to seal it type of game not a not an outright dominant performance by brazil it's just a sneaky feeling of mine uh, also all ju- of- wait justin in brazil versus all of the itches <laughs> what are your thoughts well here's the thing about itches right they're really irritating and if there is something that those Croatian players will will not be afraid to go do, it is go out there and hit some of the Brazilian players. And those Brazilian players, they're they're flair guys. They don't like to get hit. They don't like to to have to deal with, you know, those bite at your ankle sort of tackles and things like that. So that is um, true. I I personally look at this game as Brazil's to lose. I I think that it is a I don't poten- disagree. Pon- potential the, banana skin, right? There's like, that's a, what this game is. Well, there's a world where Croatia uh, uh, aggravates and injures uh, accidentally, but but this is different styles of football meeting. This is Jogo Bonito against this Eastern European we are going to hit you style. <laughs> yeah. Uh I think it will be a good one to watch regardless. I think that one will be a very fun one to to just be, whether you have a side you're on or whether you're one of the quote-unquote neutrals. I'm not sure anyone is actually a neutral on anything football-related anymore, but whatever you I are. I will say, on, on one last thing on that one, for all of my, oh, Croatia could be problematic and everything, I still think Brazil wins this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... If you were given a hundred dollars and told you had to put it on a, a football match, you'd well, I don't know that this is the one you'd pick. You'd probably pick like Manchester City playing some fourth division team. But uh you, you probably in this particular match, I think you have to put it on Brazil. Uh we go to the one that I think is the the least interesting of all four. Uh <laughs> and that is that is England and France. And England and France, obviously. Have have never had any storied history of competitions. They've never like gone to war or anything. They've never done anything. Uh, they love each other. This is basically just going to be a friendly. Uh, Josh, thoughts on this? Uh, this England France friendly. <laughs> uh, my thoughts are is that France is better, and I know England is good, but my thoughts are is that France is better, and specifically. Mbappe looks to me, and I, I, maybe he's been this way for a while. I really don't follow uh, the French league because, eh, you know, PSG have infinite money to to everyone else. Um, but he looks like he's turned up another gear. And I know that there are some people who have issues with Mbappe. He's a little bit of a diva. The bottom line is, right now, I think you'd be hard pressed to say anyone, and I'm going to include Messi right now, is better than him. He can just take over games. His quick twitch ability, his top end speed, his finishing, his physicality. There are, I mean, people talk about how Holland is a lab created footballer. Mbappe is the same way, except I think he just tends to be more involved in the game um, than even Holland is. It's it's one of those things where when you surround Mbappe also by other really good players, I know there's a lot of talent on this England team as well, but I think that this is also a case where their manager holds them back and doesn't fully utilize the talent that they have in a way that makes them competitive. Um, 
I think people are expecting this to be the most competitive of the group, and I hope Ewan, our our other friend of the uh, of the Crown Cast, doesn't hear me say this. I don't know that it will be. I have a gut feeling that France <laughs> come out and kind of dominate oh, this game. That is going to be my bold, fired. spicy take, and it is nothing against England. It is nothing against Ewan. It just I think that this is going to be a disappointing game in the sense that I think France come out, they get an early goal, and they kind of dominate. Yeah, I, I think England is very unfortunate to have ended up with France in this round. I think England is a spectacular team, and I do want to set the record straight. There's been a lot of history between England and France. I was, in fact, being facetious. Uh, I don't... I love a lot of the players on the English team. Uh, there are even players on the English team I don't love, and I have to admit, for England play well, i.e., Harry Maguire. Um, I don't. I don't see how they get through this French side. Kylian Mbappe is. If if Erling Holland is a goal scoring robot, Kylian Mbappe is a footballing robot, and it's it's terrifying. It is. It is absolutely terrifying. I do think he's the best player in this tournament, and it's not like he's carrying his team. He is the best player in this tournament on a team that is filled with some of the best players in this tournament. Uh, I might think it will be a little closer than you do, Josh, just because I think England does have the attacking threat um, and the -the off-the-bench attacking threat, no matter who they choose for their starting lineup. I I think when you look across the line and see Phil Foden, Harry Kane, and Bukayo Saka, and even if you say Marcus Rashford starts in that, uh, there's a lot of terrifying abilities to get goals, and I think that's always scary. But I, I don't see how how anybody, with the possible exception of Brazil, gets through this France side. Uh, Justin, thoughts? I mean, I think that a couple of things should terrify English fans. One being the idea of Kylian Mbappe running it, Kyle Walker, who you know he's he was injured coming into this. I don't know that he's there yet. I don't know that he's ready. And Harry Maguire, who he's got a lot of... There are some positives to his game. Keeping up with pacey attackers is never going to be one of of, uh, Harry Maguire's strengths. Uh, And then I don't know that we have seen a gulf in managerial quality uh, this big between Gareth Southgate and, and Didier Deschamps since Greg Berhalter and Louis van Gaal. Um, too soon too soon (laughs) no no just soon enough (laughs) remember i said we weren't going to talk about the usa anymore in this one uh no basically our thoughts on this is england's going to put up a heck of a fight but you have to have your money on france to get through on this one Uh, i think it is time that we address uh the the charlotte fc the the big news for charlotte fc and that is a man named enzo capetti And uh, Josh, do you want to tell me who Enzo Capetti is and why we should all know about him? Yeah, so he is a 26-year-old striker that is coming to us from, I'm probably going to say this like like an American, but racing, racing, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, Uh, but one of the big clubs in Argentina, they finished second um, to Boca Juniors this, this past year. He had a really good season for them, 11 goals, 4 assists last year. It was his second year with the club. 
Um, and it looks like he's coming over to be our striker. He is a player that has played on the right side in the past, but his best year by far was last year when, when they moved him more centrally. So I would expect that's where Charlotte are looking to deploy him as well. Um, and it should probably also be noted that he did have an injury at the tail end of last season. Uh, it was an MCL and an ankle injury. There, It is a little unclear as to where he is in his recovery with that. You would have to believe that Charlotte have done their due diligence with the medicals and everything is looking fine uh, from that sense. Um, but this this seems like an exciting uh, news and the money behind it is significant. I believe it's reported at about $6.3 million. Yeah, that, that's not nothing in, in the money world. That's That's a fair amount of the money. Uh, my thoughts on this, and I think we'll get into this here in a little bit, uh, maybe don't necessarily align with with everyone's. It, we recently acquired a, a way to go out and scout players and get a look at their videos. And when you look at his like his his best plays video, it is really, really exciting. If you watch that video for like 30 seconds, you see five beautiful back heels that just rip open defenses. And uh, you see a number of gorgeous, like soft touch control passes that rip open defenses. And you see him just crush his way through players to score goals. Uh, That's obviously his perfect reel, right? That's the thing that's going to make him look the best. I then went in and I said, well, is he going to be physical enough to play in the United States? And the next next series of videos I watched were all him holding himself up to defenders and being physical and pushing people off and, and winning the physical battle. And I went, great. And then I said, okay, but he looks predominantly right-footed. Can he shoot with his left? And the next like four clips I watched were all of him hitting beautiful shots with his left. And I went, great. And I said, what on earth is going on with this guy? If this guy is as good as these videos say, he's, well, he's killing Mbappe, right? So so what's up? And one of my concerns is that he is playing with racing. I'm going to lean into it and just pronounce everything wrong. He is playing with racing, who is a very good squad in their division. Uh. I don't know how accustomed he is to playing with teams that reliably attack. Two, I went and I looked at his attacking duels and what it showed me was a lot of him trying to play with his back to the goal and making really, really bad first touches. Now, some of them weren't all his fault. Some of them were, uh, he got played into an alleyway and there was really nothing he could do about it. But I have concerns that this player could be really feast or famine. You know, he could come in and find the space to be creative. And I know he's got a decent pass on him. I know he sees the space in the box really well. He seems to receive balls in the air well. He seems to head the ball well towards goal. He could come in and not have that freedom. Maybe his athleticism is dropped. Maybe he just doesn't fit in the system that doesn't seem to regularly get five or six attackers into the box to support him. And he just completely goes missing. Uh, I I will admit there's a part of me that's super excited about this player. And there's a part of me that's terrified. And I don't know which one I'm more inclined to listen to. Uh, Justin, your, your thoughts on Enzo Capetti. 
Yeah, watching him in attack, he looks to me like uh, what in world football would be referred to as a poacher. So I don't know that he is necessarily he can he can latch on and score a goal, but it looked like a lot of what what he was scoring was sort of uh, not the cleanest headers. You know, maybe picking up on some defensive mistakes. There's a, a clip of him running down just a bad touch from the opposing keeper and taking and essentially slotting into an empty net. But, you know, that's not necessarily an example of a, of a lot of skill. That's just being right place, right time. Um, there's some poorly taken headers that sort of bundle their way over the line, which is, I guess, good. But at the same time, it's just I'm concerned because, it, you know, like Josh mentioned, it's a six point three million dollar transfer fee now. The flip side of that transfer fee, which is three times, uh, I think, uh, Carol Swiderski's transfer fee is his salary is less than uh, Swiderski's. I don't I haven't seen anything about him taking up a, a designated player slot or anything like that for us. You know, a young DP with with uh, um, Jordi Asavar moving on from the squad. Um, so I am hesitant to be excited about this uh I, I i think it works if there is a shift in the overall tactics of the club i think that this guy doesn't look like he plays in the kind of system that charlotte played last year um i think that he looks like he works if we become more of a counter-attacking side if we look to, to you know cut them open on the break maybe a, a little bit of, of high pressure after a turnover and see if we can, you know, win the ball back in dangerous areas and play him into space. Um, I don't know that I see a lot of him linking with the, you know, with his teammates in Rossing and he's going to be coming to MLS. And is that going to, I don't know. I don't know. I am concerned though. Um, yeah, I, I will say oh. he will absolutely be a designated player, though, for us uh, when this goes through. Um, the question is, will we then subsequently buy down Camille Uzwiak, um to free up another DP spot? But he's definitely, if he comes or when he comes, hopefully, he is a he's a DP for us. Yeah, and I think one thing we can all agree on is he has skills that look incredibly exciting. And because of the fact that I'm coming down kind of on the fence on this one, uh, because I don't necessarily see everything I want to see that makes me go, this guy's going to be a world beater. I'm inclined to fall back on my my look at previous signings to, to see how well talent is identified. The last signings that Charlotte FC have made have been pretty darn good. Do you guys feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, considering... Nathan Byrne, considering Nuno Santos, uh, Santos, you know, uh, considering Adelson Melanda, probably the odds are better than than we might think. I think I mean, so. I think you got to give the team the benefit of the doubt at this point because their scouting department, ever since MAR left, has been better. Um, it's just it's just a lot of money. And and I don't know about the quality. I I think I would push back a little bit also on on the scouting department getting better since Mar left. Like I, I I know that the summer signings are the big ones, 
but I think we have to give this scouting department credit for the likes of um, Guzman Carujo, for um, the likes of uh, Bram Bronico, even Derek Jones. I think that that is a kind of under the radar move for us that we made. Um, you know, I, I'm not someone who is thinking that Derek Jones is going to be a MLS All Star or anything like that, but I think he was a solid addition. I think that this front office or the scouting department specifically in the front office has definitely earned our trust in that. And so that's why the, the fee doesn't really bother me personally, because I think, I think it shows that they really do believe in, in this player to spend that much money. Um, I do, I do have concerns like you, like you, Justin, but overall I am, I am excited for it. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to put on the Charlotte FC shirt and we're going to want the best for him. And obviously for Charlotte FC, uh, you know, one thing that I don't think anyone can deny is that last year we struggled for goals. And I think everyone in the front office knows that this appears to be the guy that's brought in to fix that problem. So I look forward to seeing him fix that problem. Any final thoughts on Enzo Capetti before we wrap this up, Justin? Uh, he had just better be better than Andre Shinyashiki at scoring goals. God. Don't remind me about the fact that Andre Shinyashiki is not being allowed to score goals. Josh. Um, I just want to give, I was having some conversations over on the social media platform, Twitter, if you've heard of it. It hasn't been in the news <laughs> recently at all. Um, but I do want to give out a, sh a shout out to uh, Andy on there. She's at Queen Footballista. Um, she is a diehard uh, Boca Juniors fan, and she is very excited about this, which means a lot considering he is a player for a rival. Um, she is not concerned. So, you know, you do kind of trust someone who follows a league better than than we do. I don't think anyone on this on Mike right now um, is an active follower of the Argentinian league. Um, and so I do I do think that that is another little nugget of uh, of hope for for all the Charlotte fans may be a little concerned about this is that when you have someone saying now nah, this is a good thing I've seen him play he's going to be good for us. Um, you really you really sort of lean into that. I think that's a very good shout out because I do think, you know, what the fans say is often a good indicator of what the player is. We're going to hope he comes here and is fantastic. We are going to wrap it up almost exactly at one hour long. And uh, as ever, if you've chosen to spend your time with us for this World Cup Wednesday slash scouting podcast, thank you so much. We love you. And we will talk to you again after the next round of the World Cup or as ever on Wednesdays. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Mm -hmm.